Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. Thank you, Candace. All right. Well, how many have been here for any of the God on Mute talks that we've done the last month? Okay, a bunch of you. Um, we're going to do part three tonight. So if you have happened to miss the first two parts, it's on podcast for free. Just go listen to it. Uh, they are standalone talks, but they do go together as well. I try to do that with any series that I do, that they don't require the previous or the sequels but it's nice when they do. And so I would encourage you, I want to do a quick recap on God on Mute. Quick uh, first week, we talked about how we as average adults make around 35,000 decisions every day. 35,000 decisions you are making every day of your life. And so we wrestle with the idea of free will with the will of God. And We all like free will. We like the ability to make our own decisions. But if you've been following Jesus for at least 24 hours, you will learn that God is often mute when you're making major decisions in your life. And it's fascinating to me that God loves to tell you what to eat for lunch or go talk to that person across the street. But when you're trying to decide a significant life decision, he goes missing. So we wrestle with this reality of free will and the will of God and the idea that when you said yes to Jesus, this desire to please him and be obedient emerges. And now we're stuck with the dilemma of like, why isn't God talking to me when I'm trying to decide what job I should take? Or should I marry this person? Or should I move to this city? Or should I move houses? Or should I even buy a house? And all of a sudden, God seems to go mute. And so we wrestled with that in the first week. We wrestled also with the idea of the word obedience. And I I wonder how many of us have been raised or taught or have embraced the idea that the pinnacle of our relationship with God is just simply obeying him. And I want to propose to you, I don't think that's the pinnacle. I think that's very introductory. For example, my wife and I have been married 25. We're approaching 26 years. If the depth of our relationship was purely based on me obeying her and her obeying me, then I would propose we're missing out on a lot of depth and dimensions to what it means to be in relationship with someone. So in week one, we wrestled with the idea, maybe obedience isn't the pinnacle, maybe obedience is the beginning, it's the introductory, it's it's phase one, if I could break it down that simple. And perhaps God is inviting us into a realm of relationship with them that requires us to hold a paradox between our free will and the will of God. So that was week one, and we ended with this thought. If God makes every decision for us in life, then we will barely have anything to give an account for at the end of our life. Then week two, we moved that conversation a little bit further around when we actually make decisions. Sometimes we don't realize there are things in our life that make it really challenging to make decisions. And we call them self-imposed limitations. And what are self-imposed limitations? Those are limitations that you have put on yourself in one season. And sometimes they're necessary. They're necessary because in that season, you have to limit yourself to stay functioning and existing in certain relationships and certain environments. 
But as you move through life, if you don't recognize these self-imposed limitations and, to be frank, eradicate them from your life, you actually never step into a future. You simply recreate your past. And I think what we find in a lot of people is that we change churches, we change jobs, we change cities, we change relationships hoping something new comes about. And then we recognize, we get into it, it's like, this is exactly the same as it was in my past. We often think that our external reality is what we need to change when the reality is your internal reality is held up by self-imposed limitations. So we address that and talk through that around how, what do we do? Like, how do we take these self-imposed limitations? And we recognize that I am everywhere I go. And if I truly want to create a future, I have to let go of these self-imposed limitations. Tonight, we're going to flip the script. Are you guys ready for a little flip the script? Tonight, we're going to talk about God is loud. God is loud. He's really loud. He talks a lot. Reva's very happy about this because self-imposed limitations just created a bunch of um, tension inside of her. But tonight we're talking about how God is loud. As we have the human experience, if you've ever heard that phrase, the human experience, what did that mean? It means how you experience life in this world as a human. As we have our human experiences, we have to understand that we interpret our human experiences. We put a story around our human experiences. How you're experiencing me right now, you're building a story around that. If you have a bad experience with someone, because you need to make sense of it, you create a story around it. This is what we do. This was probably 10 to 12 years ago. I went to a crab feed fundraiser. It was all you can eat crab. And I love crab, I love seafood. And my wife bought two tickets. She's not a fan of seafood, so I just went by myself. And it was a fundraiser for one of my daughters. And I love crab and I love butter. Put those two together, it's the best thing on earth. So I went to this crab feed with one goal to not socialize and to just eat crab. That was literally my goal. I just was not in the mood that night and I thought, I'm just gonna go, I just want my all-you-can-eat crab and then I'm gonna go home. Well, what I didn't know is that it was actually about a three-hour ordeal. There's silent auction, there's like entertainment, there's this whole drawn-out thing. They're basically trying to get all the money off of you in three hours. That's what this thing was. And I skipped lunch that day because I was so excited that I want to create plenty of space in this region for lots of crab. So now I get there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a long ordeal. Like I thought I could eat and just go home. So I find a table by myself, kind of in the back, thinking I'm just gonna sit here by myself. I'll just wait till they do all the festivities. And then pretty soon the place fills up. So now I'm not by myself. And it, it is literally shoulder to shoulder. We all have bibs on. And eventually, like an hour, hour and a half in, they start bringing crab. And I am like, I'm not in the mood to talk. I just want my crab. And the man next to me, he was an, uh, an older gentleman. He was a war veteran. He had the jacket and the hats, and it was really beautiful to have a man that gave so much for this country. And he sits next to me, and so he looks at me, and he says, so what do you do for a living? Now, I don't know if you've ever been in my position, but it, I have a different answer for different situations. If I don't want to socialize, I say pastor. (laughs) Now, I've learned in the South, that's actually not the case. When you say pastor, it invites conversation. 
But in California, where I was, if you said pastor, it ended all the conversations, or at least made it really awkward. And so I said pastor, and it did not end the conversation with this guy. This guy kind of came like, oh, you're a pastor. What church? So I told him what church, and I thought that would end the conversation. <laughs> it didn't. He got so intrigued, and he started talking to me about Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Seventh-day Adventist. I mean, he definitely had his knowledge down. He's like, oh. And he's telling me, he's asking me all these questions about the differences, and what's the difference between them? And I, I tried to explain it. And then he said, are they all going to heaven? Are Methodists going to heaven? Are Presbyterian going to heaven? And, and I'm like trying to answer this guy. like he's getting into some decent the- theological questions. I said, it doesn't matter what church you go to, if you, but you put your faith in Jesus. And I explained the gospel. He's like, oh, okay. So if you're Methodist, Presbyterian, said, yeah. So we had this conversation. And then he got into some existential questions about himself. And it was just conversation, and we're just breaking crab, dipping butter, bibs, the whole thing. And it was wonderful. I actually was now, I was actually now, my social part came alive, and I was enjoying this conversation. And then he looked at me with really stern look. He said, how do you know God is real? I mean, the question of all questions in this moment, how do you know God is real? And I said, oh, that's easy. He speaks to me. You should have seen the look on this guy's face. He probably thought I was mentally ill. And he's like, what? I said, oh, yeah, God talks to me. He had no framework that God actually speaks to humans. There was nowhere to put that thought. And honestly, that conversation kind of fizzled out. I don't know if he knew what to do. He's like, uh, I don't know who this guy is now, which was fine because I enjoyed my crab the rest of the evening. But the idea that God speaks to you, and I know in this room alone, We have a spectrum of people on their perspective of God speaking. I know there's people in this room that you wrestle with the reality of God's real or not. And you also wrestle with, did God even like me? Does he want me? Does he want to be near me? He doesn't even speak to me. And then we have people on the other end of the spectrum that you talk to God so much, you never talk to another human being. We have the spectrum of people on that. So this whole idea that God actually wants to speak to you, it's actually something beautiful. And the whole idea that God is not just stuck in the cosmos somewhere, but he actually wants to interact with you. And tonight what I want you to understand, we've been wrestling with God when he's silent, but tonight I want you to wrestle with this. God is loud. He is talking to you. He is, he is getting through your experiences your pain, your trauma, your fears, your rejection. He's trying to get through that to get to your soul. God is eager to speak to you. Now, as humans, we have five senses. We have hearing, touch, smell, taste, and sight. And when we talk about hearing from God, I I think the thing I want to unpack with you first tonight is sometimes when we say hearing from God, We don't understand that that's actually quite limiting. Now, very rarely have I actually have never heard God's audible voice. Now, I know people that say, I have heard God's audible voice. Not the voice in the mind, but like you're hearing me talk, they've heard that. It's in scripture, it happened, but it's actually rare. So when we say hearing from God, what do we actually say? I think another helpful way to look at that idea is like, we know how to sense God. Did you know that you as humans were designed to sense God? 
God designed you in such a way that you could tell when he's near. You can tell when he's communicating to you. You can tell when he's not near. It's a really fascinating thing. I think it's part of our makeup that I, I want to spend a moment on. And so we know in the natural, we hear, we touch, we smell, we taste, and we see. One of my senses does not function at full capacity. What's fascinating is one of my senses is definitely not operating at full capacity. My other senses are hyper. Specifically, my sight and my touch. My sight, my eyes are active. They have to be active because I can't tell what direction sound comes from. Like you, most, for those of you that can hear properly, when someone talks, you know what side of your body it's coming from. I have no idea where it's coming from. So my eyes are looking everywhere for whoever's mouse moving, which makes it a real joy in large crowds because <laughs> everyone's mouse moving. So, but because one of my senses is not at full capacity, my eyes are hyper. They know how to pick out a voice out of a crowd like no one's business. And if I can't hear you, I can read lips like you would never believe. So if you don't want me to eavesdrop on your conversations, you might want to guard your mouth. <laughs> the other scent that's really hyper is touch. I think I'm a mutant sometimes because I can feel things like you would not believe. Thank you, Candace. I feel deeply emotionally and I feel deeply physically. So we have senses. We have ways of sensing what's happening in our environment. And I think oftentimes when we think about God's voice or him speaking, we often limit him to one frequency, to one sense. And tonight I want to introduce to you the idea that God speaks to you in a whole bunch of different ways. And one of the great challenges, I know there's people in this room who said yes to Jesus, like God's not talking to me. It could be that, or it could be you're trying to pay attention to him in one frequency, in one sense. And one of the challenges is that we actually have to expand our ability to sense God. I made jokes a few weeks ago about sometimes when we want God to answer, we're looking for a sign. We're like, God, just give me a sign. And for some, man, a squirrel runs across the road. We're like, that got to be a sign from God. It could be, or it could simply be just a squirrel running across the road. But there's this desire inside of us, and I want to challenge us tonight, that God is speaking. The question is, what frequency is he speaking on? So as you follow Jesus, make sure you understand that he's speaking to you on different frequencies. So as we go through life, one of the other things that really plays into our ability to make decisions is our story and narrative on our life and experiences. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe it's you and your spouse or you and a friend or even you and a stranger? You have this shared experience, whether it's good, positive, or in between. You have this shared experience, and then you both compare your notes on what you just experienced, and they're two very different things. Lots of conflict in workplaces come because you have two different narratives and stories on what actually happened. And it's one of the challenges because we are designed to make meaning of everything. So if something happened, we want to put a period on that to explain what happened. We don't like commas. 
We don't like run-on sentences. We don't like not having meaning. So what we do is we sum up experiences and create a story and meaning around it. Say, that was painful. And so we go into another experience and something triggers us. We're already deleting, getting rid of anything on all that tells us that pain. Don't do that again. That's fear. I'm not going there again. So all of a sudden, our life, if we're not aware, our views, our worldviews, and our perspective are shaped by our experiences. And I've noticed in this conversation of sensing God and hearing God, sometimes the most, the people that live in lots of rejection and fear, when God speaks to them, that's all they hear. I've talked to so many people that are struggling with shame and guilt, and they feel like God is talking to them via shame and guilt. You see, your experiences, if you don't stay aware of how they're shaping your perspective, your lens, guess what? Everything you hear and experience will be connected to that fundamental value of your past experiences. Are you guys with me tonight? So I just want to say point blank. If you find yourself critical, you find yourself judgmental, then God's voice probably sounds sarcastic to you. I remember this was years ago, I was reading, a, I actually forget the passage at the moment, and I was reading the story of God speaking to somebody, it was in the Old Testament. And I remember I read this verse, and as I was reading it, God was asking this person a question. And the question was something like, what are you doing? And I remember reading it, and I read it with a sarcastic tone. For years, that's how I read that passage. That God is being sarcastic with this prophet in the scripture and saying, what are you doing like sarcasm, judging and shaming? And I realized, oh, that's my lens interpreting that's how God is speaking to the guy. So I want to challenge you, our path experiences actually shape our perspective and lenses. And so the challenge that we have, this is why the gospel is so beautiful. This is why the good news is so beautiful. This is why renewing our mind is crucial in our life. If you find yourself faulting to fear, rejection, pain, trauma, then guess what? That's where you need to renew your mind. That's where you need the gospel to enter into the conversation. And for some of us, we reduce the gospel to only just getting saved and getting to heaven, but we forget the everyday life. So if you're triggered by all these painful triggers, guess what? That's where the gospel needs to enter into the conversation and redeeming and renewing the way you think is essential. Because if you don't, all your future decisions will be made out of that. And I know that's nothing none of us want. So this constant renewing of our mind and being refreshed by the presence of God and by his voice, that's why the Bible, everything has to be pitted up against scripture. You have to triangulate your experiences with the life of Jesus. If it's not in the life of Jesus, it's not meant to be your destination. This is why you triangulate your perspective on how the world functions up against the teachings of Jesus. Is this in the life of Jesus? No, it's not. Then I must find ways to renew my mind out of that to think and live according to what Jesus teaches. 
This is really good stuff, by the way, I'm telling you. Some of you are still processing senses. What I'm trying to tell you tonight, God's speaking to you, and he doesn't only speak English. In fact, he rarely speaks English. And secondly, your past experiences that you put a period on, that you're convinced that reality is affecting the way you're shaping and creating the future. And I want you to address that tonight in your soul. I want you to go, you know what? I'm making decisions because I don't want to be rejected. I'm making decisions because I don't want to experience pain anymore. And all you're doing is you're shrinking your world down to your story. I don't want to make decisions because I'm scared it's not going to work out. And so we just stay small. And we call it wisdom. We call it, I prayed about it, I don't have peace about it. The potential is, you don't have peace about getting rejected again. You don't have peace about experiencing pain again. So this is the challenge, the dilemma that we are in when we are following Jesus. And if we're not constantly renewing our mind, if we're not constantly renewing our soul, all we're doing, we're creating a reality that we get stuck in. And I know no one in here wants that. But you have to be willing to address the things that are triggering you, the things that are keeping you in the same spot and you think you're creating a future, but all you're doing is recreating your past. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to start in the second half of verse 8. Don't read yet because I, I need to give a little bit of a backdrop. This is the story of Elijah, the, one of the great prophets in the Old Testament. Some consider him to be the greatest prophet. And Elijah was a, a bizarre character. If you need some entertainment in Scripture, just in the bizarre category and like uber cool category, Elijah is the guy to read about. And at this point in time, though, Elijah is actually suicidal. He wanted to end his life. He had given himself to the mission of God. And in his mind, he has failed miserably. And God knows that. And God leads him out into the wilderness. And he, Elijah's running from a woman named Jezebel. And if you haven't taken note as of the last few thousand years, no one's naming their daughter Jezebel anymore. <laughs> and there's a really big reason for that because Jezebel was no good. And in many ways, she was an ancient witch. She, she operated in witchcraft. She controlled and manipulated her way into power. And so Elijah's running from this woman. He's suicidal. He, he spent his life following God and chasing after what God wanted for a nation. And he hit the end of his road. And so God leads him into the wilderness. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, verse 8, the second half. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord appeared to Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophet to death with the sword. 
I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Let's stop right there. When he said, I am the only one left, he, would, I, he had isolated himself so much. And later on in this story, God said, oh, no, I've got thousands of other prophets. So it's amazing. When you start feeling isolated and you start feeling alone, when you start feeling like you're the only one, guess what? The enemy has successfully moved you into isolation, and you'll begin to create a story around, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that cares. And I love God later on in the story. He said, you're not the only one. I've got a bunch of others. I think this is important. We have to be confronted with ourselves. Let's go to verse 11. The Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rock before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Let's stop right here. So Elijah's in the cave and God says, step aside, I'm going to pass by. There's only a few moments in scripture where God said, you better cover yourself because I'm about to pass by you. And when God passes by, things happen. And in this case, a wind picked up in the mountain and it was literally ripping the mountains apart. Rocks were falling. But notice the line that says, but God was not in the wind. And then it was earthquake. The earth shook. And then it said, God was not in the earthquake. And then the third thing that happened in this moment, there was fire. And then it said, God was not in the fire. And then the verse says this, and then there was a small whisper. Different translations, some translations actually said there was thin silence. And if you look at the original language, it actually makes a reference. One commentator said, it's the space between words. What I want you to understand here, Elijah knew the God of fire. He experienced God speaking through fire. He had experienced God speaking through wind. He had experienced God speaking through earthquakes. So he was familiar with that frequency. He was familiar with that approach. But in this moment, he recognized God not in any of those. And then there's this moment, and I want to propose to you, Elijah's first time hearing this frequency that I'll call the space between words, the silence. God, Elijah recognized, oh, God's speaking to me this way. This is important because I'm in a different season of my life in this category of hearing from God. Whenever you ask people, hey, how do I spend time with God and hear from this is what you're going to hear. Get your Bible. Get up early in the morning. Get a cup of coffee, if you're a coffee drinker. Sit on the couch with a lamp and put on some worship music, and God will meet you there. This is like the formula in Christian faith. Just do those four or five things, and God will show up. Now, if you put I exalt thee on repeat, God is for sure going to show up. It may take 20 times to repeat, but God, I think when God hears that song, I exalt thee, he's like, I have to show up. That's just my, that's my, my opinion. But what's interesting 
is you never hear anybody telling you you can hear God in the busyness of life. Yes, you don't hear people talking about, you want to hear from God? Go get busy. Like, go do something. Like, go into the buzz of life, go to the intersection of Main Street and First Avenue, and God will meet you there. We don't hear people talking about that. And I'm in this season right now where I was religious about early mornings, cup of coffee, repeat a song on worship, lamp and my couch, and God would speak to me. For years would speak to me there. I could almost rely on God going to meet me in the morning. Now, he ain't meeting me there. It is dead silent. And it's not that kind of silent. It literally silence. It's crickets. It's like, I don't even know if God's here today. But I noticed that when I go fill my day with creativity, dreaming and building and doing the things that we're doing, it's like God is so loud in that space. So I want to challenge you tonight. Some of you may recognize, wow, I am literally spending time with God in quiet out of sheer discipline. Maybe there's another voice God wants you to become familiar with. Maybe God wants to speak to you a whole different frequency, a whole different sense. A number of years ago, about 10 years ago, I have a friend who, he was a pastor's kid, and then he took over the church or became one of the main leaders of the church. And then he felt like he needed to step into a different season, so he moved from the East Coast to the West Coast to California, where we were at the time. Wonderful man, become a good friend of mine. And he was meeting with me and he was sharing this desire. If I put to take a season off of being in church ministry. But that's my desire. I dream of being in a church ministry. And he expressed to me his dream was to be on staff at Bethel Church in Reading. And that is not abnormal. Lots of people line up there. I want to be on staff. I want to be on staff. So this was one of those guys. But he's meeting with me and we've become friends and we're having all these conversations. But there was no opportunity for him to come on staff or let alone any church anywhere wanted him. So he's like, I got to provide for my family. And so he stepped into this space and he works for this company. And with his ideas, his leadership and his strategy, the business multiplies, explodes. It actually creates great wealth for his boss, for his manager. And they love him. They're like, man, keep bringing those ideas. So he's had a couple of years of this goes by, and we sit down for our normal coffee. I said, how are you doing? What's going on? He's like, man, I, I did this at the business. I implemented this, and it multiplied our sales. And he's telling me all this. I'm like, that's amazing, man. Look at you. You're providing for your family, and you are actually helping the business you're in. And then he made this comment. He said, Eric, but there's like 5% of me that I'm holding to myself. I don't want to give that 5% completely. So 95% of himself was all in on this business, but this small percentage, he's like, I'm kind of, I'm like, why are you holding on to that? He says, well, I don't want to miss an opportunity to be on staff at a church somewhere. So I just feel like if I hold this, keep it closed, then I'll be available. And I asked him a question. I said, what are you scared of? He said, well, I don't want to miss an opportunity. And then secondly, I'm afraid if I give all of myself to this business, the door to be in a church ministry will forever be closed. And I replied and I said, it sounds like you're scared of trusting God with your future. And it sounds like your definition of ministry is really small. And our conversation went on from there. It's been 10 years. 
And this guy is crushing it in the business world. So what I want you to understand from this story I just shared with you is sometimes our perspectives, sometimes our definition of what it means to do the will of God is so small that God is trying to expand you to think bigger, to think differently about your future. I want to end with a quote from a well-known Catholic mystic, Thomas Merton. He says this, my Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you would lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. I love what he says. But the fact that I long to please you pleases God. Why don't you stand? Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.